Welcome to the Thriving Birth Worker Podcast, a space for conversations about how you, the birth worker, can create not only a fulfilling and sustainable career, but a joyful and thriving life. I'm Erin Underwood, an educator, movement specialist, mother of four boys, and a total anatomy nerd. My passion is to see birth workers encouraged, supported, and empowered in their careers and life. And welcome to the Thriving Birth Worker Podcast. This is Erin. Before we jump into today's interview, which I am really excited about, I did this interview a little bit ago, so I've been sitting on it, waiting to release it. I wanted to quickly just check in with you and acknowledge that everything is big and a lot is happening right now. So as the world is moving through incredible challenges, I wanted to check in and see how are you doing? Life is a lot right now, and it can seem challenging to live embodied, which is just simply being in our bodies. So when life is busy or new and unknown, it's really kind of easy to disassociate. I'd like to offer you a moment right now to check in before we dive into this amazing interview. If you can, I'd encourage you to take this moment and take a few slow, deep inhales And see if you can relax the exhales out. See if you can notice any tension in your forehead, your jaw, your neck, and shoulders. On each exhale, see if you can release a little bit of extra tension. Now go ahead and rub your palms together, back and forth, as quickly or as slowly as you would like. Feel the friction of your palm against palm. Notice the sound that it makes. Notice how you feel, any warmth. And then go ahead and finish with one more long exhale. Taking these moments to practice embodiment, to check in with ourselves, to feel what's going on from our skin on deeper can be a really powerful way that's really simple and quick to center us, to bring us back into this moment and to release any extra tension that isn't for us to carry right now. Moving into today's episode, I got the chance to talk to Lisa Westrope. And she's an occupational therapist. And I just want to say occupational therapists are quite literally the best. She is a fabulous woman. She's the fabulous woman behind Nurture Occupational Therapy. And I basically fell in love with her over our brief time that I've known her and over the course of this interview. If you're not positive, you know exactly what an occupational therapist is. No worries. She is gracious and explains all of it to us. A little bit about Lisa herself. She is a master's level qualified occupational therapist a mama of two who has a passion for supporting women during their motherhood journey. Lisa became interested in women's health after her own experiences of pregnancy and early motherhood. She has a particular interest in supporting birth choices, educating parents-to-be on the fourth trimester, suggesting ergonomic modifications for everyday parenting tasks, and promoting a safe return to exercise. After speaking to so many women who expressed an interest in receiving support, she founded Nurture Occupational Therapy to meet this significantly unmet need. 
Lisa and I discuss prenatal strengthening from a holistic standpoint, diastasis during pregnancy, and if that should be a concern. Lisa teaches me the best new word, matrescence, and I get really excited when she explains that to me. She also gets super practical and covers some awesome tips to give to a newly postpartum mama for pain management and physical support. We cover so much, and I am just so glad you're joining us today. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Lisa. Lisa, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for hosting today. I'm glad to be here. Oh, me too, me too. So let's dig in. For those of our listeners who haven't heard of you, could you just give us a little bit of your background and how you serve the birthing community as well? Sure. Um, So I'm a maternal health occupational therapist. Um, I help moms to parent pain-free. So basically supporting moms in their transition to motherhood, um, mainly through like ergonomic strategies, core and pelvic floor rehab, and basically planning for a successful return to the activities that moms love to do. That's awesome. I'm always curious to hear a little bit of the background of how you wound up in this field. Like, can you tell us a little bit of what led you to the path that you're on right now? Yes. So this is an area that I'm super passionate about because basically I needed this service myself when I had my first baby. Um, So I have an almost four-year-old and a 13-month-old, so two daughters. Um, And when I had my first baby, I think like a lot of us, you know, there's a big shift that happens and it's not always something that's talked about. We tend to focus more so on pregnancy and birth. And then in the postpartum period, you know, some things do get forgotten. Everybody's kind of focused on baby. And I knew that there was um, more support needed for for new moms. So that's where I started to um, do some more continuing education in this area. There aren't a lot of occupational therapists working in maternal health yet, but it is a growing area. Um, So that's something that uh, I, I became very passionate about. And, you know, I want to support moms as much as possible. That's awesome. So if someone was listening and they couldn't quite define maybe exactly what an occupational therapist is, like compared to a physical therapist or anything along those lines, if you could you summarize it for us? Of course. And I get this question a lot. And it's it's a great question to ask because I think a lot of people think of occupation as being your job. And some OTs do work in vocational rehabilitation to do with people's work. But um, I like to think of occupation as being more what occupies you. So it's all those activities that you want or need to do each day. And that sounds super broad because it is very broad. So occupational therapists can work in a lot of different areas. Um, You may have come across OTs who work in, say, um, geriatric settings um, or, you know, on an acute ward in a hospital, um, also in mental health services. So there's a lot of different areas that OTs can work in, but they're all focusing on um, the client's occupational needs. So what they need or want to do. Awesome. Yes. So basically living your life well. (laughs) That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. OTs, we we always say that, you know, OTs um, give people, they don't give them their lives back, but they, they make sure that people can participate in what they need to do in their life. So we're not like a doctor, we won't save your life, but we'll make sure that you have a life after your life has been saved. That's amazing. I love that definition. Mm -hmm. So I want to do it. We'll take it chronologically. 
Okay. Kind of talk a little bit about the prenatal stage and your um, focus on the pelvic floor and core and working with the mamas who are currently pregnant. What are some of the strategies or the thought process that goes on when you're working with a client? So one, there's the client who isn't able to process pregnancy pain-free. So around ligament pain or sciatica pain or whatever it is that is ailing them, or maybe, you know, you're have you're also going to kind of lump in some preemptive work on preparing for birth. Like what is your mindset? And then how do you find a lot of your clients' mindsets are around that time of their, you know, the transitional phase, like pre-transition? So I think that pregnancy is just, like you say, such a big time of transition and it's so overwhelming. There's so many different things to think about. Um, And, you know, as I said previously, it it does seem like we tend to focus on the baby um, and, you know, leading up to birth. So it's sometimes getting moms to take a step back and think about what they need as well. Um, I have clients, for example, who've come to me and been very worried about the fact that they they have a diastasis recti now, so they have the gap um, in between their abdominals. And I like to reassure moms that that's kind of a normal thing that happens during pregnancy because obviously everything's moving to let baby grow. Um, and so during pregnancy, it will be that that you will experience that to some extent, and the majority of people do. Um, but that's something that we can look into post birth. Um, and you know, as with any, um, big life event that involves a physical change, I think it's important to do kind of those pre rehab exercises. So for example, if you went into a hospital for an elective knee surgery, um, they wouldn't just bring you in one day and do the surgery. They'd give you activities to do beforehand, um, to strengthen up the joint as much as possible. Um, so that once you've had the surgery, you can then be in the best place possible um, to then get on with your exercises afterwards and be in a better place. And I think that's an important way for us to look at birth as well. It's not that you you have an injury, you're not you know a fragile person who's broken. Um, it's more that you, if you look at it from this is a physical change and how can we assist with that and get you into the best place possible so that that physical change can take place. And then afterwards, how can we kind of not get back you back to where you were before? We don't have a time machine, but um, make sure that you are able to function and, and do the things that you you need to do. I love that analogy. And I'm just going to rush back and highlight something you just said as far as diastasis recti being common during pregnancy and not being bad, because I think like there is now this wave of understanding and acknowledgement of what diastasis recti is. It's kind of a buzzword, um, mm-hmm. which I'm excited that there's more information out there. When I was um, having, you know, after my baby, even like seven years ago, there was a lot less information. So I'm excited that it's out there. But now there's almost like women are wanting to be measured during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And they're almost feeling like something's wrong with them rather than like, this is a very normal separation of the abdominals because the baby's got to go somewhere and your body's super duper smart yes. and knows that it can allow that room, you know, with the abdominals, you know, spreading apart a little bit. And then, mm-hmm. yes, it's paying attention to it after birth, um, seeing, you know, the healing process there. But I do, I do, I know a lot of moms get a little, uh, 
worried because they've mm-hmm. heard one thing or another. And so, yes, I get real excited about that one. So, yes, <laughs> but, yeah, the re the prehab. I love talking about uh, it as a prehab, like really kind of a mindful strategy rather than just more of a general like you should exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. So, and I think no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think a lot of the time as well, we're, we're kind of, um, we want to get back to the activities that we've done previously. So in pregnancy, we want to be doing the things that we did before pregnancy. And then, you know, once we have a baby, we want to go back to do the things that we did even before we got pregnant. And it, that's always kind of the way that we're looking at things a lot of the time, because that's, that's our reality. That's what we've always known. Um, and I think sometimes it's good to kind of think of, your body is as a changing thing and that it can be that some of the activities that you might do during or that you did pre-pregnancy um wouldn't be the best thing to be doing during pregnancy so for some people they can run right up till the day you know they give birth and they don't have any pain while they're doing that it's it's fine for them to do but a lot of women myself included you know i found that up to i was okay maybe up to about 20 weeks and after that it just wasn't comfortable anymore. And it's listening to your body um, because I think sometimes we say, oh, you know, we need to listen to our bodies, but sometimes we're listening to what our mind wants to do rather than what our body needs. So I'm the kind of person, and I think a lot of mums fall into this category where they use exercise as kind of being their, um, a, a way to kind of de-stress. Um, it's something they do for themselves. Um, and so obviously they want to get back to that as soon as possible, or they want to keep doing it during pregnancy. Um, and it may be that, you know, your mind is saying, I want to do this and your body might not be either ready yet, or, you know, that might not be a, a good thing for us to be doing right then. So really listening to what your body's cues are, um, I think is, is super important as well. Yeah. And then I think us as, um, practitioners where, however we're navigating that, um, process with our clients that we can ask, help them ask questions. Because I think if you just say in general, listen to your body, like you said, it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm just going to do what I've always done. And if I'm, you know, my leg isn't falling off, I think I'm probably okay. And (laughs) giving them that permission of like, if you're uncomfortable, that doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's just like you were saying, you know, embracing the fact that your body is an ever evolving, ever shifting, um, amazing, beautiful organism. Mm-hmm. And meeting it where it's at right now doesn't mean that you'll never be able to do it ever again or anything like that. Exactly. It's those small steps, you know, especially in the um, post-birth period, those small steps back towards, you know, the things that you want to be able to do. It's not that you can't ever do them, like you say. Um, it's just that, you know, let's use the knee surgery analogy again. You, you wouldn't have your knee surgery and then a week or two later run a marathon. It's, that's not a feasible thing to do. Um, it would be that you do your um, rehab exercises and then you train and then you get up to, you know, marathon level. Um, and I think that's an important way for us to look at it post-birth. It's not, again, that you're injured. It's just that, you know, your body has been through a physical change and it's important to recognize that and embrace that um, and find ways to work. Not necessarily that you have to do specific exercises. It's more um what I'm working with my clients is um, trying to incorporate those uh, postures and um, activities into your everyday. So it's not that I'd give you a sheet of exercises to do. It's that I'd 
um, work with you in your home to make sure that you're you were doing things in a way that was promoting your health rather than um, making you more likely to get injured. Mm, that's good. So it's a good delineation between maybe what a physical therapist would do rather than an occupational therapist. A physical therapist often does, which can be very powerful. It's not saying mm-hmm. one's better than the other. They're just different. Um, send you home with a list of exercises and you go home and you do those exercises. And for you, you're approaching it and looking at more of a lifestyle approach of, okay, how are you moving throughout your day and how can you move throughout your day in a way that actually serves you and can um, facilitate this healing or this building of strength or whatever the goals are for their client and really optimizing the things that are already in their lives rather. And I think that's a much more sustainable approach to a new mom. Because if you send a new mom home with a list of 20 exercises you need to do every day, yes, <laughs> like <yeah. laughs> she's already so overwhelmed. Like she's not going to yeah. be like, okay, I got to set the baby down and I yes, need to exactly. do my exercises. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, that does work well for some people. There are some people that really respond well to that. You know, I have my sheet and I do those every day. It's part of my routine that I do. Um, but I think for the majority of people, like you say, you know, it's a big change um, in the postpartum period and, you know, anything that we can do to help mums feel like they're doing things for themselves um, rather than it having to be an extra thing, you know, self-care that you add into your day. It can be that you're doing things in a self-caring way almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. So. Let's talk about, you talk a lot, and I want to hear your definition about the fourth trimester. So that's another term that floats around, and I think everyone kind of has a little nuanced uh, way that they define it. Mm -hmm. How would you define it, and how do you approach that idea of a fourth trimester? I think that the fourth trimester is an interesting concept because it implies that it's, you know, the um, pregnancy is split up into three trimesters and this is just kind of something tacked on the end that um, is is an extra thing almost. Um, so I like to look at the fourth trimester from an infant development point of view as being, you know, this is time really that baby is still almost, you know, not that they should still be in the womb, but they can't really do as much as, as you know, an older baby could. Um, they they need the same level of care, almost like a womb-like environment. Um, they need, you know, everything doing for them. And uh, for moms, that's obviously going to be a big ask, especially for first-time mom, because they haven't had any experience of this before. Maybe they've seen friends or relatives who have um, a, a, a newborn, and but it's it's very difficult, I think, to to understand that until you've been through it. Um, so for me, the fourth trimester is just making um, that huge change and almost like um, there's a, a um, term called matrescence, which is um, the, almost like the birth of a mother. Um, so we, we've heard of the word adolescence where um, a child is changing into an adult and matrescence is when a woman is changing into a mother. Um, and I, I really like that as a as a definition. It's not that you're, um, you know, a, it, I suppose you do come out of it a different person, um, not in a bad way, um, but you you gain new skills, you have a different focus. So yeah, I like that definition too because it's mm-hmm. also not an on off switch. Like if you think of adolescence, yeah. there's that awkward stage, yes, and that 
the growth spurts and the, you know, the voice can change and sound crackly. Like it's not necessarily the smoothest transition, not tons of hormones are involved. Like it's definitely a, a gradual transition into that. And I think there is that pressure for mothers to be like, okay, I had a baby, like turn on, like everything needs to be firing. I need to feel totally maternal and whatever it is that, you know, they put on Mm -hmm. themselves that they think that needs to look like. And I love that term. I haven't heard of that. So thank you for teaching me something new. Um, (laughs) That it's inviting this mindset shift of it can be a little bit bumpy. Mm -hmm. And that could be okay. It could be a little bit awkward. And that can be okay. It can be a little bit like uncomfortable. Or there's that uncertainty, I think a lot of times that we think of with adolescence of like, just trying to figure out who you are, yes. you're, you have like this new body, like you've kind of a growth spurt, you have hormones, like you're trying to navigate all this. And it's like, what is going on? And I love that analogy between that and motherhood, as far as transitioning into that, of everything is new, your body is new, your everything is it feels different. And it's inviting more of that exploratory, and I think a little extra level of grace rather than like, yeah, boom, you've got it, like you should have it all figured out because you've pushed a baby out. And so now you're good to go. Exactly. Yeah, you you have done motherhood, you know, it, it's now you are a mother. You, in that moment, you are birthed as a mother. And it's it's interesting, because I, I do feel like there should be more of the fourth trimester as being a time where people do figure it out. I think in our society, it's almost like, you know, oh, no, you're a mom, you know how to be a mom. It's kind of an instinctual thing. And I think for a lot of women and for myself included, you know, I always wanted um, children, but I didn't know about the the level of, you know, what was involved with that. And, you know, just making sure that um, I I understood what my baby needed and trusting my own instincts. And that's something that, you co- you know, comes with practice. Um, it's like you say, a, a a way of figuring out, you know, yourself as a mother. It's not that you're suddenly going to know. It's that this is a period of transition, kind of like adolescence. And like you say, it it will be awkward at times and feel weird. And, you know, that's completely normal. Yes. And I think the more we can message that as far as it's okay to feel awkward or weird or uncomfortable or unsure and to just kind of navigate that process with a little bit of time and to look for resources, but it's okay to not have it all click immediately. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, completely correct. Uh, that's uh, how I very much how I feel about it and how I felt like when I first became a mom as well. And I kind of see it in a lot of mo- the moms that I work with as well. They're, they're clamoring to feel like they're doing a good job and that, you know, they almost need someone's permission to feel like they're a good mom. Whereas mm-hmm. if they're, they're listening to their instincts, a lot of the time they're doing a great job. They, they almost need on their, you know, themselves, somebody to tell them that they're doing a good job. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of sad that as a society, we expect that people will just kind of fall into that role. And I think we have lost to some extent the, the community that surrounds moms. You know, it's, with, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And, you know, a lot of the time we move around a lot now. Um, we're not living, you know, in the same place as family. That's definitely the case for myself. Um, my family all live back in the UK and I'm in California. And mm. so it's, it can be very hard for new moms because they haven't got that, that support. Um, and that's something that, again, I, I work with moms on that and finding their community, um, you know, making sure that they are accessing the, the services that are available to them. 
Um, and you know, mom, mom, baby groups are, are definitely, that's something that I'm starting to offer now as well. So I think it's so important that community. Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's talk. I know you and I, we have strong opinions about this, but this will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of the six week you're cleared. Uh, you had a baby six weeks ago. Magically six weeks is this somehow beautiful, magical number where suddenly you can do like a lot of women, they're not giving given any other uh, clarity or processed with about their body, except for if you don't have an infection, if your bleeding has stopped, like everything's good, you're cleared to do whatever you want in life now. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm just laughing to myself here. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. you're right. People have felt that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> it's interesting because, like you say, there's this six week cutoff, and it's like, oh, after five weeks and six days, no, no, you can't, you can't be doing that. Um, but as soon as you hit six weeks, go for it, you know. And I, the um, advice that I was given after my first baby from my lovely OB um, was like, just take it a bit easy. And I was like, I didn't know what that meant. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. I was like, how, uh, you know, does that mean don't do the things that I was doing before? Does it mean do some of the things that I was doing before? Does it mean, you know, it could be construed in a lot of different ways. And that isn't that guidance a lot of the time for women. Um, also, as we mentioned before, you know, it's um, very tempting to want to go back to those things that you you love doing. You know, you've missed them for a while. Maybe you haven't been able to do them. And, you know, if you're told by a doctor um, at six weeks that it's okay to do, you know, the majority of tasks again, then you're going to jump back in. Um, and I feel like for a lot of women, that's not going to be long enough. It might be a good time to start doing some more, um, like, of the rehab exercises that can get them back to that place. But, you know, it's not the time to be literally jumping any high impact activity, I'm going to say. You're going to need a little bit more time usually, um, especially after um, a vaginal delivery, I would say. Um, it's it's good to give extra time. And I know it's frustrating for women. And that's one of the things that I work with my clients on a lot, their perceptions and expectations of what their body um, can do, um, because it can do a lot. It's doing a lot of different things that it couldn't do before. You know, if um, mom is breastfeeding, that can impact as well on um you know, the, the ligament laxity um, that can mean that she's more likely to get injured. Um, so there's a lot of different things going on. And six weeks for me is just that point where, you know, it may be physically possible, but, it, you know, if it's possible, should we be doing it? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. I think for me that six weeks is, yeah, not not what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I love how you we're saying it doesn't mean that the mom is injured and it, and there can be this internal frustration. I think you were saying, yes. and it's very, yeah. very common of like, I just want to get back. I just want my body back. Mm-hmm. I just want yes. to, and not necessarily like the shape, but to feel confident in your own skin and be able to just do and move without mm-hmm. having to have a lot of extra thought put into it. And so yeah. how do you coach your clients through that? creating that extra awareness and maybe a little extra intention without feeling weak and helping them process maybe a little bit of frustration or the, because our culture is, does present, especially if it's a first time mom, 
like, okay, you're going to be back in your jeans and you're going to be back mm-hmm. to just living your life and you'll have a baby in tow, but you'll be back to everything being normal. And when all of a sudden they're faced with realizing like my body isn't the exact same that it was in whatever yeah. shape or, or form that comes out. Um, how do you help them kind of navigate that without, you know, cause I know you do a really good job of not like, Oh, you're weak and you need to like, just take it easy. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think talking to moms um, about what their body can do now. So, you know, having them even list the things that their body has now done that it didn't do before pregnancy. So, you know, they've done things like give birth. Um, they've done things that, you know, if they're breastfeeding, then they're sustaining a baby to, only through their own body. Um, you know, having them list out those things that they're doing now that they weren't previously doing, um, I think is a very powerful way of getting a mom to realize that, yes, life is different, but it's different in a good way as well. You know, look at all the amazing things that you can do. Um, And it's not that you can't do the things that you did before. It's just that your body's busy doing all these other things as well. So maybe we need to just give our bodies a little bit of grace and a little bit of time um, to be able to get back to that, that place where they can, you know, do, do the things that they were doing before. And, um, yeah, one of the things that I like to do is just kind of, um, you know, sit sit with moms and and chat through what what it is that they're wanting to get back to and and what that gives them. So, what is it they're looking for from that activity that they used to do? And can we find small ways in their day that they can get that um, from other things, maybe? So, for example, if you used to go for a run um, and that you know made you feel really good um, in terms of your mental health. Could it be that you now um, one of the things that you can do is go for a walk because you're still getting time outside, um, you're still you know getting the fresh air, and it may be that eventually we start to do a, a little bit of a jog um, and then walk and then jog a little bit and then walk and then see how that feels. So it's just kind of grading those activities and also finding what it is that you wanted from those activities as well. I. Love that so much as far as, you know, that perspective shift of let's focus on what your body is doing and celebrating that mm-hmm. and not rather than the focus of like the things that you aren't. And yes, it's such a practical tool of, you know, why, why deep down, like what is this activity serving? How is this serving you? And we yeah. can be so creative and help our clients reframe it and find a way where they can still be served. Um, but I think too, it's helping coach our clients through that because they just might not have the mental capacity to be that creative. Like I know as yes. a new, like, a, like you're low on sleep, everything else is so new. So mm-hmm. it's so easy to just want to go to do the one thing that you know works. And so to help hold their hand, to honor their needs, but also to help hold their hand, like just, we have more energy than they do. Yes, exactly. I can, (laughs) I can have that creative perspective of looking at this from a little different angle and help them process that. And then it's like, Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So I can see how that would be very supportive for the clients. And that's one thing that as um, occupational therapists, we do a lot, you know, kind of activity analysis. So, you know, making sure that yes, we're, we're taking into account what the, the client wants to do but also analyzing that. And like you were saying, making sure that we know what it is that they're looking for from that activity. So it's not just, oh, well, you know, I'll go for my run because running is what I've always done. And I, I love running. 
it's well why do you love running and is there something that can honor that that same kind of feeling and you know release those endorphins that your body is looking for but just in a different way for now it doesn't have to be that that's forever it's just you know for now yeah so good so when you are working with these fourth trimester clients Mm -hmm. (laughs) what are just some basic um alignment and postural um, points that you like to review so i mean there's definitely they're tired Mm -hmm. um they are maybe they're they're feeding a baby in some way whether they're bottle feeding or breastfeeding uh it tends to be a lot of in-arm carrying that happens uh sitting that happens Mm -hmm. so what are a few basic things that you coach your clients through just so that they're experiencing less pain and less maybe crankiness in their body as they are trying to put all this energy into keeping this tiny little human alive yes yeah um so one of the things that I like to work with um, clients on is breathing, which sounds a really odd thing to say because, you know, a lot of my clients look at me like, well, I am breathing, so surely I'm doing an okay job of that. Um, but as, you know, during pregnancy, um, our diaphragm does have to move up so that baby can um, exist in the abdomen. Um, and it obviously gets pushed and the diaphragm gets pushed upwards and the lung capacity does um, decrease. Um, because there's a baby in the way they you can't get in a full breath um so a lot of the work that i do for kind of starting off with moms is just making sure that they can take in a full breath which has great benefits in terms of you know making sure that all your tissues are oxygenated it's relaxing as well so you're not um feeling like you're overly stressed about things it's very um you know deep breaths are, are really relaxing so one thing that I do with moms is just get them to put their hands on their rib cage, so like um, fingers at the front of the rib cage and the thumb at the back, and really seeing if they can take a deep breath in and get their rib cage to expand um, in like a 360 breath, as we call it, so um, all the way around their rib cage. So it's not just coming out at the front, it's not just coming out at the sides, it's the whole rib cage is expanding and getting in a really deep breath. Because we do tend to, you know, chest breathe a lot of the time. You're you're breathing into the the top of your chest rather than the the deep area at the bottom. And once you can start to do that, um, you know, you'll find that you manage pressure a lot better within your body. So that's a lot safer um, in terms of thinking about in like inter abdominal um, pressure. So, um, for example, in uh, postnatal clients, um, you're more likely to see diastasis recti, but um, one thing that you can do for that is to think about how you manage your pressure. And if um, pressure is better managed, it's a lot easier for um, the diastasis to close and the tish- those tissues to become stronger. Um, it also decreases the risk of um, pelvic organ prolapse if you're managing pressure well within the body. So um, one of the tips that I like to give out to every new mom um, that I work with is to exhale on exertion. So that's if you're ever doing anything that requires you um, to kind of tense your muscles. So if you're picking your baby up in the car seat, um, make sure that as you pick them up, you're, you're breathing out. Um, that's a, a really important tip because if we hold our breath while we do those kind of things, um, it's, it's not going to um, be a good thing for the, the pressure within your body and you're putting more pressure on those those areas that are already um, not struggling, but have had more, um, yeah, um, you know, affected by birth. So the diastasis and the pelvic floor. 
so good. I am over here silent clapping for you because (laughs) this is not something that I hear talked about all that often. And that's exactly what I recommend my clients do. And I, they, yeah, I, yeah, they, they do give you a little bit of a funny look. Like you want me to do what? Breathe. (laughs) And like, trust, just trust me on this one. Just trust me. Yeah. (laughs) And it has become second nature. You know, it's one of those things that feels weird, like you say, to begin with. Um, but as the more you do it, you just kind of, you know, breathe out as you're, you're doing anything that's, that's requiring any strain. So yeah, that exhale on exertion is, is such a good kind of quick tip that I can give out today. Um, also just thinking about posture as well in terms of, like you say, feeding a baby, because however you're feeding your baby, your baby is going to be in your arms a lot. Um, and you'll be carrying them around a lot as well. Um, so thinking about wrist position. So I, I get a lot of moms who have um, wrist pain. Um, and one thing that I like to tell them is just to try and make sure that you're not flexing your wrist too much. So moving your hands towards your inner wrist and you're not extending your wrist too much. So not moving um, the back of your hand towards the, the back of your arm. So keeping it in kind of a neutral position a lot of the time. And this is going to sound weird because Unless you're holding a baby, you won't realize that you're doing it probably. But our body tends to go into a protective um, kind of stance as we hold the baby. So we, we kind of cup our arm around the baby. And you, you tend to go into a position where your wrist is flexed a lot of the time. Um, so one of the things that I like to try and get moms to do is just to bring the wrist more into a neutral position, which puts less pressure on it. And hopefully um, then they would avoid some of the conditions that can come with that. There's um, a condition called um, Dequervain's tenosynovitis, which is also named mother's thumb, um, which is where mums tend to get pain at the, the base of their thumb. Um, and that can be from holding these, um, what we think is a natural position to kind of make sure that baby is in a good position. But actually, in terms of our anatomy, it's not a good position. So even just little changes like that can make a, a big difference. I love that tip. That's really good. Just creating that mindfulness around something we're doing all the time. And yeah, yeah, we do a lot of times think, I don't want to drop the baby or exactly just are trying to be as snuggly as possible. Or, you know, it is more instinctual, I think, than um, not. And so to Mm -hmm. just do a quick little check in of, okay, you know, how can I care for my body while I'm still caring for the baby? That's it. And and nobody really ever teaches you how to hold a baby. It's one of those things, you know, um, you're doing it all the time, but nobody's, you know, in the postnatal classes that or the prenatal classes that I went to, nobody ever really talked about that. It was how to change a diaper, you know, how to how to burp a baby. Um, and then, you know, there it wasn't really covered about how to, you know, make sure that your body is okay while you're caring for your baby. So I work with clients a lot around um use of um baby carriers as well to take some of the strain away from their wrist and arm because i do have a lot of clients who who struggle with wrist pain so even just finding ways for baby to be close to mom because that's where they're happiest and it doesn't have to be that mom has them in their arms the whole time Mm -hmm. that's good yeah i think we need to start because prenatal classes are pretty common i think we need some postnatal classes of yes exactly now that yes. you're in the yeah. trenches like <laughs> exactly. yes, yes. you can learn all this before the baby but here's the stuff you'll actually need <laughs> yeah. yes awesome let's do that you and i'll do that now yes exactly sounds like a plan <laughs> awesome well 
I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, how can our listeners, like, are you on social media? Do you have a website? How can they connect with you? I do. So uh, my website is www.nurtureot.com. Um, and I'm also on Facebook nurture o- at, at Nurture OT um, and on Instagram as well. So that's at um, nurture.ot. Um, and I do have um, some free resources that I'm slowly putting onto my website. Um, there's one on um, my resources page. So if you go to the website and then click on the resources tab, you can download um, a free uh, pain free parenting tips um, a worksheet from that as well. So um, there's kind of free resources on there that the um, parents can connect with. So yeah, check, check it out and hopefully it will be helpful for for everybody listening. Awesome. And I can put that under the show notes as well to make it easy for people to find. Well, thank Lisa. Thank you so much for sharing and for your expertise and your wisdom and just for being such a solid, calming presence. Oh, thank you, Erin. Thank you for hosting today. I've had a great time. (laughs) I know we share a lot of the same um, thoughts on things. So yes, Yes. I I think. (laughs) (laughs) I was silent cheering the whole interview. Yes. yes. (laughs) I did a lot of nodding, like all the time you were talking. (laughs) And now you love her too, right? Lisa is so calming and smart, and she's such a gift to her community and now to us. If you want to dive a bit more into a deeper understanding of an occupational therapist's perspective, in episode five, I had the opportunity to interview the amazing Lindsay Vestal, which if you love this conversation, you're going to really love that conversation where we dive really deep into understanding the pelvic floor and how an occupational therapist would approach pelvic floor physical therapy. And Lindsay is also amazing and ridiculously soothing and calming to listen to. So there seems to be a theme among occupational therapists. I don't know. If during this time you're feeling extra stress or tension in your physical body, I encourage you to jump on over to today's show notes at thethrivingbirthworker.com and get access to a few movement classes that I've created for this reason. Physical movement helps us feel. It helps us feel our boundaries, notice the signals our body is sending, notice our strength, notice where we can develop more strength or balance or awareness. And all of these physical tools quickly translate over into supporting the rest of our very whole selves, our emotional, psychological, and spiritual selves. These classes are a wonderful place to start this process and to support your beautiful body with some mindful movement and intention. In case no one's told you this lately, you matter. Your service to this community is powerful, and I'm grateful for you. Until next week, I'm here cheering you on. Bye for now. The information and discussion provided on this podcast are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, you should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or healthcare provider.